welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. I'm recording on Friday, September the 11th, for the podcast to be published on Saturday the 12th. It's a solemn occasion, 19 years, hard to believe, since the devastating terrorist attack on the World Trade Center in New York that killed at least 3,000 people and left many family and friends bereft. Maybe it's appropriate that it is a particularly gloomy day in California, at least, in addition to our continued lockdown because of COVID-19. We are also in the middle of fire season. Many, alas, of the fires have been set by individuals for reasons that seem unfathomable to rational minds. The embers and smoke of the fires have wended their way to places like my neighborhood and basically have obscured the sun or left the sun looking like an orange marble with some kind of glow around it. I suppose it would be a cliche to say it looks and feels apocalyptic, but it certainly does. I'm guessing that there are a lot of prayers being said today for people who were lost and for those who felt the loss and continue to feel it all these years later. So I suppose it's appropriate that this particular episode will be again about prayer and uh, thinking about how we pray and what we pray for and wondering whether there's a little bit too much petition and not enough adoration subject of prayer has a million permutations and will surely be one I return to again and again. I was remembering a scene in the Christmas movie, the original, the best from my point of view, the 1946 or 7 version of Miracle on 34th Street. I'm sure you've seen the movie. It takes place in my hometown, New York. Unusual for that time, a woman, played by Maureen O'Hara, is raising her daughter, she's divorced, in New York, and she is working for Macy's and in charge of the Macy's Day Parade, a tradition on Thanksgiving up Fifth Avenue, led by a pseudo-Santa Claus on his sleigh. This particular year, Santa Claus, in the movie, is a bit of a drinker and gets fired finding another person of the right size and proper look to be the jolly old man would seem to be impossible. But in this fantasy, a man appears who claims to be the actual Santa Claus and is able to fill the shoes for the day. But he becomes part of their existence, the little girl, the mother, and a young lawyer who happens to live next door to the woman. The little girl has been taught by a somewhat bitter but always beautiful Maureen O'Hara, that Santa Claus is not real. The crux of the story is whether Kris Kringle is really Santa Claus or just a nice, addled old man in need of institutionalization. And the little girl has to decide whether she can believe in something that just doesn't seem possible. So as I said, there's this uh, scene at the end of the movie. The little girl is trending toward belief, but she has asked for a very special gift, one that by any terms would seem indeed impossible, a house for mother 
a little girl and a lawyer who has successfully proven that Kris Kringle is the real Santa Claus for purposes of the law to live in in Long Island. One happy thing has happened and that is that the lawyer and the woman are going to get married and make a family with the little girl. When Kris Kringle tells her that this will be very difficult even for him, she says that if he doesn't get the house for her, she'll know that her mother was right and that he really was just a nice old man. By this time, of course, mother has been sold on the truth of Kris Kringle, no matter what, and counsels her daughter that faith is about believing in things even when common sense tells you not to. Well, the little girl is really confused. It doesn't make sense, and she tells her that. Well, in the dream factory, Hollywood, Everything is granted, so, of course, as the now-engaged mother and lawyer are driving some long way home, the little girl sees the exact house she asked for, and as a lingering proof that it was Santa Claus, his cane is in the corner of the empty house. It might have made a more interesting movie, and certainly not likely as successful, if the little girl didn't get the house, and still, in fact, somehow believed. I was having a conversation the other day with an older friend who was telling me about a problem with her check card and not being able to pay her bills because of the problem and the frustrating calls she made in order to find out what was happening. She had been praying hard, she said. It all worked out. The good Lord answers prayers, she said. Maybe you guessed it. In this talk about prayer today, on this very solemn day, I want to wonder whether we overindulge in prayers of petition and tend to avoid prayers of adoration, thanksgiving, and repentance, which are other aspects of prayer. Dennis Prager, a talk show host that I like very much, has often mentioned in his discussions of religion, he happens to be a conservative Jew, has a real empathy for an understanding of Christianity that our prayers of petition, also known as prayers of supplication, are often somewhat of the superstitious type. We are asking for magic, as if God, the creator of the world, is, in Mr. Prager's words, a celestial butler. Much like the little girl in Miracle on 34th Street, we look at God kind of like Santa Claus. And as long as we get what we think we need, and what we think we need is too often what we want, then he does not exist. Or, even if we still believe he exists, we're really, really mad at him. Specific to the problem presented by my elderly friend whose bank card issue prayer was answered, what if the check card issue were not resolved and she had been unable to pay her bills this month for one reason or another, all of which would have created a cascade of crisis? Would she, or would I in that case either say God answers all prayers come on be honest how often have you ever said something like why is God doing this to me I suppose it's a form of our hubris that we think that God is sitting around trying to get in our way the most I suppose we can really say is that in this or that situation he did not intervene and we're mad enough at him for not doing that. Now, I'm not making any conclusions at this moment. I'm just asking the question along with you and seeing where we go with it. 
if petition is our primary form of prayer, if that is the case, and at least for me, it tends to be, arguably misses the point, and on the list of the reasons to pray, petition, supplication, is really the last in the series of good reasons to do so. The others might be more prudential reasons to pray. Here's a big one, I may have mentioned it a little earlier, adoration, out of an abundance of love, the outpouring of love, God made the universe, the earth, us, our very existence he holds in his hand, but not as a threat, out of purest love for us, his children, the existence he gave to Adam and Eve, and thus to us, was a gift. The highest form of prayer, I guess, for that gift, and then, since mankind nearly threw it away by trying to usurp God because of the act of redemption that reconciled us to God, is this adoration, worship. It's more than reverence. It's a recognition and expression of his perfection as creator and our utter dependence on him. Then there's the prayer of thanksgiving, thanking the Lord for his gifts of grace and life and the sustenance provided by the seven sacraments, especially that of the Mass and the Eucharist. I was originally going to say that I couldn't really pinpoint when I engaged in prayers of adoration myself, but the other day I was at a first Friday Mass, I guess it was last Friday, the weeks are going fast, and before that Mass, one of the parishioners, we were outside, of course, social distancing, masks, etc., in case someone is questioning. Though hair salons are now open, along with takeout restaurants, grocery stores, pot stores, liquor stores, as of this podcast, indoor prayer and mass is still not permitted. Yes, you hear a little complaint, was leading the gathered in the rosary, in which I participated. And then from nine to five, our Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in the appearance of bread, was on the makeshift altar in the basketball court where people came and simply allowed his transcendence to wash over them, sitting before him in his perfection. Although I was helping out in the church office, I too went before the monstrance in which our Lord was resident, and so in truth, and even though with the greatest of imperfection, I was doing more than merely petitioning. I was being the creature that I am, the child in need of his embrace, though alas, too often I resist that embrace. I suppose I was, just by my presence there, recognizing that he is all. Prayers of thanksgiving. Well, I have to admit, my prayer of thanksgiving is pretty preemptory, almost like, thanks Lord, without much other preamble or follow-up. I wonder if I'm really grateful enough. More often than not, I'm thinking of the things that didn't happen for me, of which I feel deprived. In my case, for example, the love of my life and children. But then, if I stop that kind of thought and I look at the totality of how my life has gone and the people I have known, I see the logic of the path which I do believe he has led me on. And I realize, albeit in a passing moment, that I have been more blessed than not. I wish it were more than a passing thought. Finally, and not in any order or any of these, there is the prayer of repentance. 
I guess I can think of times where I've engaged in that, certainly where I go to confession, to the sacrament of reconciliation, telling the Lord that I am aware of and repent of my sins, the big ones and the little ones, and that I seek his help in staying out of sin. And even that one is hard because, Catholic or not, the idea of sin has sort of faded in our society. So, do I really need to go to confession? Of course, even if I've done little, or I truly think I've done nothing, the prayer of repentance and the absolution that comes thereby provides the spiritual strength to stay behind the Lord on the road to Calvary. But still in all, the most praying I do is asking for things. Not always for myself, and that is good, I suppose. I have, that you do too, lists of people that I have been asked to pray for. The list gets bigger every day. It's prayers that people will get jobs, or keep jobs, or have a successful medical test, or pass an exam at school, or get a scholarship, or that they get that new house they particularly love, not unlike the movie, or that a disease which has been diagnosed causes little pain, or no pain, or just miraculously leaves. And sometimes I think how the cacophony of voices all over the world must sound to God, all of us begging for rescue and solace from the sufferings of this world. And then the cacophony of voices of people who criticize God for not providing the solace, the particular thing asked for. I do pray for people, and this is not something, oddly enough, that I was actually raised to do despite my many years in Catholic school. But sometimes I think, should I really be asking God for the specific thing that I have been asked to bring to his attention? A long time ago, when my father was suffering from sepsis and just before he did die, a Catholic friend said, pray that God does the most loving thing. That really resonated with me. And in a way, it took the burden of expectation off my shoulders for myself or the other for whom I had been asked to pray. The corollary part of the prayer is the one Jesus prayed himself, essentially. I am asking for this, that is, that the cup of suffering pass from me, but your will, not mine, be done. I am wondering if that is the best prayer of petition, that one-two punch that also recognizes God not as our major domo, but as the powerful father of the universe whose will is paramount and whose love, no matter what the outcome of the thing for which we are praying, is reverenced and adored. That, I suppose, would be true abandonment. It's funny, when I start some of these podcasts, I think I have a direction for a conclusion in mind, and then it changes midway through, even if I've written notes, it changes in my head and in my gut. I guess my conclusion is going to be it's all about attitude how we present ourselves to our lord and that there is a certain amount of overlap among petition thanksgiving repentance and adoration and that all at once can be accomplished even if the original goal is merely petition let's be blunt about what happened with jesus he did not get what he asked for in his human nature when he was in Gethsemane. But that nature yielded to his divine nature and to his father. 
from whom he was uttered. In that moment, he taught us creatures to see the bigger picture. Admittedly, we struggle with it constantly, but it's always before us. I'm finishing this recording on Saturday, and what brought my sort of change of conclusion to me has been the last few days of engaging in the Rosary Across America with Father Francis Hoffman, also known as Father Rocky, on Relevant Radio. Usually when I listen to Relevant Radio, I tend to change the channel when communal praying occurs. I admit I'm a little ashamed, but I have never found it particularly helpful in my prayer life until I started to watch this rosary, which is to go on for 54 days for the intentions of the church and of the nation. What is done is that the decade of the rosary is introduced and in between people on the internet or on the phone interpose their intentions, which Father Rocky, whom you can see on the feed, writes down and then says, yes, we'll pray for this intention in addition to the general intentions for the nation and for the church. And then pictures are put up as we're praying the decade of the rosary of various people, family members, some who have passed away, some who have needs currently in this life for medical reasons or otherwise. Not everyone is going to get the answer. Lord, I need a miracle for my son in the hospital. But the miracle doesn't come at least not to our ability to see. But somehow in this rosary, in engaging in this rosary, in engaging with others in this rosary, something which I don't do easily, I sort of see the bigger picture that normally when I am praying alone, I don't see. And I'm also seeing the overlap among the different types of prayer. Yes, apparently all we're doing in these rosaries is petitioning, begging God to do things for us. But at the same time, since we're looking to him as the creator of the universe, we are adoring him. We are adoring in the act of petition. And where things do turn out in the direction that is hoped for, we are thanking him for giving us this gift that we needed individually and recognizing that it must be for the better of the tapestry that we do not understand. I can tell you this, I look forward to these rosaries every day now. It's the fifth day today. And I'm feeling as if I'm connected to God hand in hand with these others. It has all brought to my attention that the rosary prayed individually or in community is perhaps the most powerful way of engaging in all the forms of prayer. I'm actually a little surprised that I've come to this recognition and glad as well. I started out wondering whether there was too much petition and maybe I'm coming to the conclusion that there is not enough. And interestingly, it's made me more curious about Father Patrick Payton, who was the person who said originally the family that prays together stays together and was a great advocate of the rosary. His ministry still survives in a building on Sunset Boulevard here in Los Angeles. There's even apparently a movie coming out about him in October, 
and I'm beginning to think that he had the secret. He knew the secret of prayer, and he understood the power of petition and its all-encompassing way of bringing us to the other forms of prayer. I can only tell you what these family rosaries across America have accomplished for me, a great appreciation for the rosary and the sense that this is the go-to place to access our Lord, superseded only by the Mass and the Sacrament of the Eucharist. So what is my conclusion? Pray unceasingly, as we are told, and I'd add, don't worry about the answer. Pray that God will take away the worry about the answer. As St. John Henry Newman said, he knows what he is about. forward to next week to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me.